Well, good morning, and I too want to say thank you for getting up on a dreary, dreary, dreary uh, Saturday morning to come and uh, think about marriage and family. Uh, the odds are overwhelming that 99% of you that are in here have good marriages. Uh, you just want to make them better, which is why you're here. It breaks my heart that most of the time, people that could really benefit from something like this, they, they don't come. Uh, every now and then, some folks will slip in, but uh, unfortunately, they're not the ones that tend to be here. Normally, uh, my wife, Charlotte, uh, would be here, but last Saturday, we, God blessed us with four sons, uh, twins that are 37, uh, Paul, who's 34, and Tim, who is 32. Uh, my oldest, uh, by three minutes, Nathan, got married last Saturday. Uh, we don't know what was wrong with him because the other three have been married for almost 12 and 13 years. And they have wonderfully provided my wife and me 12 grandchildren, uh, six boys and six girls. And so needless to say, Nate, who Jeff knows pretty well, has been viciously harassed uh, for a decade. And, uh, but God's timing is always right. Uh, Adrian Rogers used to say, God is never early and God is never late. God is always right on time. And God brought uh, a young lady into Nate's life by the name of Kelsey. Uh, we fell head over heels in love with her. In fact, we made it very clear to Nate that she was in the family now. So if he did not marry her, he was the one that was getting kicked out. And we would just move forward with three sons and a daughter. But uh, they got married last week and they're coming home from their honeymoon tonight. And uh, my wife needs to go pick them up at the airport. So that's why uh, she is not uh, with me. But uh, God in his good grace gave her to me 40 years ago, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary on May the 27th of this year. Uh, we were very young and dumb uh, when we got married, 21 and 19. Uh, unfortunately, because of a number of circumstances, we went through no, zero premarital counseling. And so when we got started, though we were very, 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 very much in love with each other, uh, our first couple of years were, were, were a challenge. Uh, there were some really uh, difficult uh, and hard times. You say, well, you're in the ministry. Uh, ministers are normal people too. And uh, they have the same kind of marriage issues that you have. Uh, and in fact, I do have her permission uh, to share anything I say uh, today. But I can still remember in my second year of marriage having to call the church one Sunday morning and tell them that I was not going to be able to be there uh, because my wife wasn't feeling well, which was absolutely true. Uh, she had locked herself in the bathroom and she was crying. And all these un, you know, some of you are like, you know, sissy criers. You just kind of, you know, whimper. Then some others of you kind of cry in a moderate kind of a way. Uh, my wife is like in the hall of fame of crying. She's like a, a flood, a gusher. And uh, it's amazing she doesn't pass out from hyperventilating when she cries like that. And so she had locked herself uh, in the bathroom and she like stayed there for like two hours. And you're like, well, you probably ought not to be in the ministry then. Well, I, we could debate that. Uh, but I just want you to know we've had uh, our great days and we've had our not so great days in 40 years. Uh, but what I've learned that for those of us who love the Lord Jesus and are committed to what he wants to do in marriage, uh, there's a very, very important word that's missing in far too many relationships today. And that is the word commitment. Commitment. When we got married and we said, uh, forsaking all others and sickness and in health and so on till death do we part, uh, we meant that. And so the fact of the matter is we didn't have uh, in our mind a uh, escape plan. Uh, we were like stuck uh, with each other for life. And so if you're stuck with someone, you can either be stuck and be miserable and unhappy, or you can be stuck and work to be happy and joyful. And what I've learned, and I want to be very honest with you as we start this morning is my marriage 
has been the hardest work that I have ever engaged in my entire life, hands down, no competition whatsoever. But it's also been the most wonderful and worthwhile work that I have ever invested. And I can say very honestly this morning, we love being married. Uh, We love uh, the relationship God has given us. We love being parents. We love being grandparents. We really do believe that outside of Jesus, the greatest gift that God has given us this side of heaven is marriage and family. So with that, I want you to take your Bible and join me in the book of Ephesians chapter five and in the little uh, notebook that you were given this morning, go ahead and turn to the first page and we're gonna walk through the first couple of pages together. You know, God really does know what he's doing. And the fact of the matter is, if we were to do marriage God's way, there'd be a lot more happy and fulfilled people in our world today. Just a couple of years ago in our local paper, the Raleigh News Observer, uh, on the front page, uh, it caught my attention because it said, looking for happiness, get married and have kids. And the opening paragraph of this article that was reporting on a survey across America, the keys to happiness are simple. Grow up get married, have children, and go to church. And this article pointed out that if you mature, which is a good idea for all of us, if you get married, if you have children, and you are a regular attender in church, you greatly increase the odds that you're going to live a joyful, meaningful, and happy life. Several years ago, I was reading in World Magazine, and again, this caught my attention. It was in the quotable section. It's very simple. When I read this to you, you'll not think there's anything profound about it, but as Paul Harvey would say, wait for the rest of the story. Uh, uh, A particular man simply said this, quote, you should know you're in love, then you should know the Lord. You should know that you're in love, and you should know the Lord. Now, you say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, it was said by a man named Bill Troop at the age of 97 on his 80th wedding anniversary when he was asked, what would you say is the key to the longevity of your marriage with your wife, Lorraine? And he said, well, it's easy. You should know you're in love and you should know the Lord. But unfortunately, again, we, if we look at our culture today, we recognize that far too many people uh, are looking for love. Everybody's looking for love. Nobody's looking for hate. Everybody's looking for love. But again, unfortunately, too many people are looking uh, in the wrong places and they're desperately, I mean, desperately looking for love. Again, this became very clear to me when I was reading in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a few years ago in the personal ad section. And again, it caught my attention because the caption of the particular section for this personal ad was single blonde female. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what's underneath that. So here's what I found. Single blonde female seeks male companionship, ethnicity unimportant. I'm a very good looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, fishing trips, and cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinner will have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you come home from work wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me and I'm yours. Call 404-875-6420 and just ask for Daisy. Well, 15,000 men called that phone number only to discover that they were talking to the Atlanta Humane Society about an eight-week-old blonde Labrador retriever named Daisy. Now, Folks are looking for love and sometimes they're looking in the wrong way, in the wrong places. God is the author of marriage and family. So why don't we allow God to tell us what he thinks we ought to be doing? So if you look in the word of God, here's what we're gonna see in the two days together. God gives every member of the family a twofold job description. Every member of the family, the wife, the husband, the parents, the children, we all receive a twofold job description. And we're gonna walk through those today and also in the morning. Husbands, he says, you're to love your wife 
and you're to understand or know your wife. You're to love her and work to understand her. Wives are told by God to submit to their husbands and to respect their husbands. Children are told to obey their parents and to honor their parents. And parents are told to educate their children and encourage their children. In particular, fathers are to be encouragers in the lives of their children. So we're gonna see that God says a husband is to love and understand, a wife is to submit and respect, children are to honor and obey, and parents are to educate and encourage their children. Well, I wanna start with the men this morning. So when a man loves a woman, how does he become the husband God designed him to be? Well, as I said, number one, he is to care for her by loving her. And the Bible is very precise and specific in how a man is to love his wife. In fact, it is fivefold as you see in the notes and as we are gonna see in God's word. How is it? Number one, your love should be sacrificial. Look at Ephesians 5. 25, husbands, love your wives, how Paul, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that word love is a verb. It's an action word. Love is not an abstract idea. Love is an action word. Secondly, that word love is in the present tense, which in the Greek text means it speaks of continuous or consistent action. Thirdly, it's an imperative. So guys, God is not asking you, God is not suggesting to you, but God commands you. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Danny, hold on. How can the Bible command us to have a feeling? After all, isn't love a feeling? Well, certainly love has a feeling and and, an emotional component to it. Uh, As I mentioned a moment ago, I've been married for 40 years, but when I get close to my wife, and I start hugging on her and kissing on her and holding her hand and squeezing her. I still at this, I'm 61 now, but I still get butterflies. I'm getting butterflies in my stomach right now thinking about it. And I get goosebumps on my arms and I still get those feelings when I snuggle up to her in that kind of way. But the fact of the matter is, I don't always feel like that. I certainly don't feel like that when she's not acting like Jesus. And so when she's not uh, acting like she ought, I don't feel like that at all. But you see, God's not commanding us to have a feeling because love is not so much a feeling as it is an action, a choice. Love is a decision. Love is a decision whereby you choose to seek the best in another person's life. Now listen to me, whether they deserve it or not. You see, that's why the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. You see, when Jesus died for you and me on the cross, we weren't lovely. We were sinners rightly headed to a place called hell. He didn't love us because we were lovely. He loved us in spite of it. And so it's not, I love my wife if she acts in a lovely way. It's not, I love my wife because she does lovely things. No, I love my wife, period. I love my wife even when she's not lovely. I look to the cross, I reflect upon how God in Christ has loved me and then I go and love my wife in exactly the same kind of way. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul grounds his theology of marriage in the atonement. Look to Jesus, see how he's loved you, go and love your wife in that same kind of a way. It is a sacrificial love. But secondly, it is a sanctifying love. Look at what he says in verse 26. He gave himself up for her that he might, now look at these very interesting words, I'll emphasize them, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, we read those words and it's easy to understand how they would apply Christ and the church. But how does this apply in marriage? I think it applies in this way, guys. Because your wife is married to you, you encourage her and you enable her 
to grow to be more like Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. Because your wife is married to you, does that help her or hinder her in growing to be like Jesus? Now, I have to confess, sometimes I think I'm more of a hindrance than a help. I try to work against that because God has asked me and called me to love Charlotte in such a way that I help her grow to be like Jesus. Let me say it to you another way, which most men hardly ever think in this category. How many of you men this morning are committed to making your wife successful? Now, almost every wife thinks in that category. If I were to ask you ladies, is one of your goals in your marriage to help your husband be successful? Almost all of you would say, well, sure, of course. Well, guys, is that a goal of yours? And when I say successful, I don't mean successful in the world's eyes. I mean successful in God's eyes. In other words, does God see you loving your wife in such a way that she is successfully growing to be more like Jesus? You know, that word sanctification is a big theological word, but all it means is to grow in Christ's likeness. So our love for our wives should be a sacrificial love, but should also be a sanctifying love. But then thirdly, it should be a sensitive kind of love. Look at what he says there in verse 28, in the same way. Husbands should love their wives, how? As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul's argument is simply this. You you take care of you. You pay attention to you. You know when you're having a good day or a bad day. So in the same way, you should be sensitive to the needs uh, and the feelings and the emotions of your wife. I, I like to say it this way. I believe when we get married, God gives us men what I call a marital radar system, a marital radar system. And of course, when we first get married, it doesn't work very well, but hopefully over the years, you refine it and you update it and you improve it and you renovate it so that by the time you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, your marital radar system is working pretty well. And again, mine's not perfect, but I'll tell you this, my wife can walk into the room and by the way she walks into the room, I can tell you, happy girl, unhappy girl. I can see the look on her face and I can tell you it's gonna be a good day or it's gonna be a different kind of day. Her tone of voice, just like that, I can tell you she's doing great, something's bothering her. Now, I couldn't tell that when we first got married. In fact, when we first got married, I just have to again be very, very honest. My marital radar system hardly functioned at all and and I can demonstrate it in a very painful way. Uh, We'd been married about six months. We got married very young, 21 and 19. And we've been married about six months. And one Saturday night, Charlotte put on the table some really nice, good-looking sandwiches that we were going to eat for dinner that night. And then she put on the table this Tupperware thing that we had been given as a wedding gift. And when you opened it up and looked inside, if you had the aid of a magnifying glass, you might think what was in there once resembled potato chips. But they were so small and, cr- and broken up And furthermore, when you put them in your mouth, they were just like stale and nasty. And so I thought very reasonably I could make a request. And so I said, well, honey, I don't like these. These are too small and stale. I'd like some new potato chips. Well, when we first got married, we were poor like all of you. My wife was aspiring to be in the frugality hall of fame. And so she came back. She said, well, sweetheart, when this container's empty, you can have some new potato chips. Well, that, that, that wasn't the answer that I wanted at all. And so I came back and I said, well, uh, darling, uh, I came by the pantry on the way in here and I actually saw a brand new bag of Lay's potato chips in there. They, they've never been opened or touched by human hands. And I, I would like to have some of those. And she came back and said, well, like I said, uh, sugar dumpling, when, when this container's empty, you can have some of those. And so I did something a man would only do in his first year of marriage. I stood up from the table, I took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in her kitchen floor. Oh, I know, ladies, you just just stay right where you are. Because I'm well aware of the fact that such a man ought to be dead. I I, I know this, okay? 
Oh, it gets worse. I stood there and I said, this one's empty now. Won't you go get those others? Oh, I know, I know. (laughs) Believe me, I know. You say, did she go get the others? Are you kidding me? She didn't do a number of things around that house for like several weeks. I mean, it, it, it was not my best moment. I didn't know. I, I thought it would personally, I still to this day thought it was a really cool object lesson. She, she did not think that at all. And I, I came to realize that what I thought was really, she did not think that way. And so I've learned over the years that there are just, so, you know, guys, can we just be honest? Ladies, y'all need to just sit aside for a moment. Look, guys, sometimes we know if I do this, it's gonna tick her off. It's worth it. And we do it anyway. We just go ahead and do it anyway and y'all get ticked off. But there are other things, guys, that eh, no, it's gonna tick her off and it ain't worth it. And if you haven't figured that out yet, then your radar system obviously needs a lot of attention and a lot of work because you need to love your wife in a sensitive kind of a way. You pay attention to her in the same way you pay attention to you. Fourthly, your love should be a satisfying love. I love this one. Look at what he says there in verse 29 and verse 30. No one ever hated his own flesh. No rational, normal human being hates himself, but nourishes, it means to to feed, and cherishes, it means to honor. So he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And so the Bible says that you love your wife in such a way that she feels fed by your love and you love your wife in such a way that she feels cherished and even honored by your love. Let me again, I love to ask questions. Guys, would your wife say to me honestly this morning that outside of Jesus, you are the most important person in the world to her? Outside of Jesus, your wife would say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am the most important person in the world to my husband. I'm telling you, if she knows that, she will feel satisfied and fulfilled in the way that you love her. But then finally, your love in this section should be a specific kind of love. Just drop down to verse 33 and look at what Paul writes there. However, I like the translation that say, nevertheless, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Uh, The King James says, the New King James says, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. What does he mean by that? I'm going to develop this later in our third session, but let me just say it to you quickly this way. It means that you love your wife in such a way that she knows, the children know, your friends know, even people who don't like you know that you are indeed a one woman kind of man in love with, committed to, devoted to one woman and only one woman. And that one woman is your wife. So you love her in a very definite and specific kind of a way. You're not a flirt. You don't have roaming eyes. Uh, You guard your heart against this horrible, wicked thing called pornography so that she really, truly feels in her heart that you have a focus, specific, targeted kind of love. And that love is just for her. So this is how the Bible says we are to love our wives. But then secondly, as I mentioned a moment ago, the Bible says we should also work to understand or know our wives. In fact, don't turn there, but just it's in your notes. First Peter 3, 7 says, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge, or the NIV says it quite well, live with your wives with understanding. So that then means how, how did God put my wife together? How has God wired this wonderful female feminine creature called a woman? And if you survey the Bible, do like what we call biblical theology, I think you could isolate at least six or seven things, which I have listed there at the bottom of that page. But turn to the next page because you've got the same exact list, but I flesh it out. I give you kind of a paragraph explanation of how it is that you can bless your wife in these kinds of ways. Now, let me say this very quickly, and I'm going to walk through it quickly. 
I've been doing marriage and family stuff now for goodness, probably 25 years. I love to talk about marriage and family as much as anything outside of Jesus. And so I've shared my, my list here with tens of thousands of women. I've never had a woman yet come up to me on the break and say, that's not me. I don't care about those things. Those things uh, don't reflect who I am. I've never had that happen. But I have had dozens of women come up to me on the break, just come by and say something like, you know, that's exactly who I am. I wish my husband knew that. So guys, I'm just telling you, this is the way God has wired and put a woman together. And you wanna bless her with your love and understanding, here we go. Number one, you just be a spiritual leader. Look at the paragraph. Be a man of courage, conviction, and commitment. Very strong, masculine kind of words. But also be a man of compassion and character, more gracious, gentle words. Take the initiative in cultivating in your home a spiritual environment. You become a capable and competent student of God's word and you live out before all, wife and children, friends and enemies, a life founded on the word of God. Lead your wife in becoming a woman of God. Take the lead in training the children in the things of the Lord. Now, let me say a couple of things about being a spiritual leader. First of all, playfully, I like to say it this way. A good woman is worth her weight in gold. A good man is worth twice his weight in gold. You say, why would you say that? Because there's so few of them. There's so few of them. Now, I am very grateful that you're here. In a sense, I realize I'm preaching to the choir. But the fact of the matter is, our world is not filled with good men. Most men, because of no relationship with Christ, tend to flee in one of two directions. They abdicate their responsibilities and they become wimpish or they become ogres and they become rude and crude and they treat women like they are servants or slaves or objects to simply bring them pleasure and happiness. In fact, um, unfortunately, there's just a lot of data out there that would back this up. Several years ago, Newsweek Magazine, their Valentine's edition, you can go look it up, their Valentine's edition on the cover page had the body of a man attached the head of a pig and the caption, the lead story of their Valentine's edition was, are men really that bad? And the conclusion of the article was, yes, they are. Give them your heart, they'll break it. Put your trust in them, they'll let you down. Crisis comes and they'll run away. And you see, for those of us who know Jesus, those things are just not an option. They're, they are not an option. Now, again, sometimes men will say to me, well, Danny, you don't understand. I'm not a scholar. Uh, I didn't go to seminary. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's degree. I, I'm not intellectually wired. And, and so it, really, I can't be what you just described. You listen to me. It does not take a great intellect to be a man of God. It takes just a great heart. Uh, I'm here this morning in large part because of the massive influence of a man who was a simple farmer in Douglasville, Georgia, who had a fifth grade education. That man was my granddaddy. And my granddaddy Galloway was a godly, godly, godly man. He was very simple, no education, In fact, not only was he a farmer, for a season of his life, he was the janitor of the church that they attended. My granddaddy died when I was 13 years old. When I was 25 years old, I went back and preached at the Victory Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia. Today, up on the hill behind that little country church is buried my granddaddy, my grandmother, my dad, and my mom. I go back to preach 12 years after my granddaddy had died. And when I got introduced that morning, they didn't introduce me like Brother Jeff did this morning. The pastor got up and said, we are so blessed this morning to have as our preacher, Mr. Galloway's grandson. Oh, his name is Danny Aiken. 
Now, my granddaddy had been dead for more than a decade, and yet the pastor then said, how many of you in the church remember Mr. Galloway? And almost every hand went up because my granddaddy was a godly, godly, godly man who greatly impacted his grandson. And so don't you give me the excuse, well, I just don't have the mind for it. If you've got the heart for it, you can be a man of God that your wife will trust look up to, admire, and she will follow you anywhere because she knows you are following Jesus. Number two, you can bless your wife with what we call personal affirmation and appreciation. Look at this paragraph. Praise your wife for her virtues as a mother, wife, and homemaker. Openly commend her, and it's underlined for a reason, in the presence of others as a marvelous mate, friend, lover, and companion. Help her feel that to you. No one is more important in this world. Now, here's what I believe about this one. Almost all men do appreciate their wives, but that's not the issue. The issue is by the things you say and the things you do, does your wife feel appreciated, okay? Almost all men do appreciate their wives. It's not the issue. The issue is does your wife feel appreciated? Several years ago, I did a marriage conference at a church in another state. A lady there took the time to find out who I was. I'm not that well known. Get my address. And she sent me this card. It's anonymous, so I will not know until I get to heaven who sent this card to me. But think about it again. This lady was hurting in her heart so badly. She got my name, got my address, and wrote me this card. I want you to listen what she wrote very carefully. Dear Dr. Aiken, I hope you received my card before the marriage conference at our church. I recently married a member of the church and he will be attending your seminar. This past Valentine's Day, he did not acknowledge the romantic holiday and I was very hurt. I watched as my coworkers received flowers. To make things worse, he joked about it in front of one of my friends. My mom told me I should have known what to expect. You see, he never gave me flowers while we were dating. This may sound selfish and petty on my part. I'm just so discouraged. After I come home from my job, I do all the housework, the cooking and the shopping. I wouldn't mind so much if he would just occasionally show his appreciation. The only time he has ever given me a gift is on my birthday in Christmas. It would mean so much to me if just once he would give me something just because he loves me. I exercise and I try to look nice. I iron his clothes and I cook his favorite meals. He has thousands of dollars to invest in the stock market, but he has never spent one dollar on a romantic gift for me. I know flowers will eventually wilt, but they are so beautiful. I'm afraid my love will eventually wilt. Will you pray for me? Now guys, I bet you if I met this guy and I asked him, hey man, do you appreciate your wife? I bet you he would say he does, but that's not the issue. The issue is, does she feel Appreciated, And clearly the answer is no. Now, maybe you're like me and you're like, well, Danny, I, I, wanna, I wanna show her how much I appreciate her, but, but I need some help. Well, I'm glad you said that because I want you to take your little book and just turn over for a moment and look, if you would, on page four and page five, and you'll see in page six some suggestions. This is from Gary Chapman's wonderful book, uh, Toward a Growing Marriage. And here he simply surveyed women and say, what could your husband do to make romance, think appreciation, and sex relations more meaningful? And they were very quick to provide a list. And so I'm not gonna read through the whole thing, but just look at a couple of things that they said. Look at number one, show, some, show me more affection. Give me some attention throughout the day. Come in after work, kiss me on my neck and ask me about my day. And I would add and hang around to see what she has to say. That, that would be a wise thing to do. 
Secondly, spend more time in preparation for intimacy. Four, be more sympathetic when I'm really sick. Six, accept me as I am. Accept me even when you see the worst side of me. Seven, tell me that you love me at uh, at times other than when we're in bed. Phone sometimes just to say, I love you. Don't be ashamed to say, I love you in front of others. Look at number eight, while I'm bathing or showering, find soft music on the radio, dim the lights, light a candle. I don't get that. What are y'all doing in there, ladies, having a seance or something? I mean, what's this deal with the music and the candles and stuff? But you know what I've learned? I can stop on the way home Sunday at the Cracker Barrel, which by the way, my wife always finds the romance at the Cracker Barrel. I don't know about yours, but my wife, romance is in the Cracker Barrel. So I will go by the Cracker Barrel. I will buy like three little candles that cost like five bucks. They have a lot of nice little scent to them. She likes scented candles. I've paid attention through the years. And so I'll go home and I'll hide those candles under her pillow. And then we'll go to bed at night and she'll move her pillow and there are those candles. And I'm just telling you, it works for me. So anyway, <laughs> think about turning the lights down and giving your wife some candles. Look at, look at number 10. I love this one. Your wife finds it romantic if you honor Christ as the head of the home. Wow. Number 16, help me wash the dinner dishes and clean the kitchen. Again, I can testify it has, for whatever reason with my wife, wonderful, wonderful blessings. Look at number 25. Pray with me about the problems and victories you're having. Let me express my own needs to you. And so guys, maybe you're like me and you just need a little help in this area. Now, here's the deal. And ladies, let's be fair with us as well. We can't suddenly pick up this list and do all 35 of these things like that. My goodness gracious, we will, we will have a meltdown, all right? But you know what? You can pick out three or four. You can begin to work on those and suddenly they become a habit or a pattern. All right, great. Then you can pick out three or four more. In fact, you might even have enough uh, wisdom to say to your wife, honey, if you could pick two or three things on this list, or maybe you got something that's not on the list, but what could I do that would just let you know I appreciate you? One of my heroes in the ministry is a man named Tom Elliff. Uh, he served as a missionary. He served as a pastor. He was president of the International Mission Board for a number of years. He's remarried. His first wife, Jeannie, one of the most precious ladies that ever walked the earth, uh, died of cancer a few years ago. But Tom used to share that at the end of every year, he and Jeannie would sit down and she would give him and he would give her a list of about five to, to 10 things that the other could do in the coming year that they would find a blessing. And he said, I'd work on those things. And she would work on those things. And if anybody, uh, anybody that knew them, Jeff knew them, they had a great marriage. I mean, they loved each other. They cared for each other. They served each other. And I think part of it was because they were both willing to listen and learn from each other. So again, I, I bet a number of these things on that list, your wife would say, oh, absolutely, honey. It'd be wonderful if, if you were to work on doing that one. But just let her know that you care enough to want to show her appreciation and, and admiration and affirmation. And I think you'll see that she'll respond in a really wonderful and positive way. All right, move to number three. And we're gonna spend a little more time here than anywhere else because we need to bless your wife by showing her personal affection or romance. Now look at what it says there. Shower her with timely and generous displays of affection. Tell her how much you care for her with a steady flow of things like words and cards and flowers and gifts and just common courtesies. Remember, affection is the environment in which sexual union is enjoyed and more fully and more often uh, enjoyed and a wonderful marriage developed. Now, I don't wanna be mean here, but I just need to be brutally honest at this point. Most men in this world do not have a clue what romance is from their wife's perspective. You don't know, you don't get it, you don't understand, and if you doubt me, when we leave to go home about noon, just get in the car and say, honey, uh, Danny was mean. 
he said an unkind thing about me that, I, that I'm not romantic. And I, I'm sure that you probably think I'm the most romantic human being that's ever walked the planet. And so why don't you just go ahead and give me a nice, sweet, precious word of affirmation and tell me what an incredibly romantic individual I am and be careful because it's very likely that she will say to you what my wife said to me when I actually asked her that. You see, we'd been married about 10 years and I, of course, am in the ministry and so I read a lot on marriage and family and all the books I was reading at that time, for whatever reason, kept saying and emphasizing the same thing. Women need romance, women crave romance, women want romance. Well, my wife seemed to be a pretty happy girl to me. And so I came home one day, walked into the kitchen and she was there and I said, honey, am I romantic? She yanked her head around so quickly, I'm amazed that she did not suffer permanent damage to her neck. And she had a look in her eyes I had never seen before, but I knew just like that, you done asked the wrong question. And this is almost verbatim, hand on the Bible. I don't embellish one whit the horror story that I'm about to share with you. She said, wow, 10 years before you asked. Well, let me begin by saying, I do love you. Well, great, I know where this is going. I could not imagine being married to anybody but you. And you are a wonderful daddy to our four sons. But now that you've asked, no, I don't think you have a romantic bone in your body. Well, being the typical male, that hurt my feelings and it made me mad. So I fired back at her. Well, all these books I've been reading say you need it. And she looked at me and said, well, all those books you've been reading are correct. I, I'd love to have it. And I said, well, fine. I, 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 I might start trying to give it to you sometime. You know, maybe you buy it at Walmart. I don't know. But anyway, I said, I'm going to start trying to be romantic. And she said, well, just the fact that you're going to try. I find that romantic. So here's what happened. A couple of weeks later, it was a Friday. I don't remember where the boys were. All I remember is they weren't around. Either they were already in bed or they were spending the night somewhere, but they weren't around. Charlotte was lying on the floor wearing her blue jeans and she had on a t-shirt and she was watching television. And I came into the living room and saw her there and noticed that nobody else was around. And I thought, this would be a good time to put that romance thing into practice. So I bent over and began to massage her back and neck, thinking that would be a good way to start. After about 15 seconds, she turned around, looked at me and said, won't you go and leave me alone? Quit bothering me. So I stepped back and I said, well, I, I, I thought that was romantic. And she said, quote, no, it's not romantic now and it won't be romantic later either. Oh, I knew what that meant too. And so I, uh, <laughs> I went to bed early that night by myself. There was no need in staying up late. There was, there's, there was no future in that evening. So anyway, it is what it is. <laughs> You've been there, don't tell me you haven't. So anyway, I, I went to bed. Well, the next morning, <clears throat> my wife, loves this stuff from Avon called Skin So Soft. How many of you know what Skin So is? Let me see your hands. <clears throat> Does three great things for you. Number one, if you got dry skin, man, that stuff will slime you something good. It is some greasy, greasy stuff. Secondly, it has a very sweet scent to it. So if you want to smell sweet, you just put Skin So Soft all over you. But number three, and probably the most important of all, it is a wonderful insect repellent and it keeps bugs off of you. So you, you, you get slimed, you smell good and bugs leave you alone. Skin So Soft is a great thing. So my wife will take a shower and at the end of her shower, she wipes her body all over with Skin So Soft. So I came into the bedroom and her towel had just been laid on the bed. And so I picked up her towel, and I know this is silly, but I took her towel and I smelled it. And I said, um, this towel smells like you. And she said, now that's romantic. All right, I'm gonna pick on you. <laughs> is that your wife right there? All right, you go home this afternoon and say, baby, you smell like a towel. 
it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. You'll have to get a room over at the Hampton Inn with me. So it's just not going to work. And so I said to her, look, you don't have to make fun of me. I'm, I'm trying with this romance thing and you don't have to make fun of me. And she looked back at me and she said, well, I thought it was romantic. And she walks out of the bedroom. Now, if she were here, she'd verify everything that's happened. The only thing she cannot verify is what happened next. I prayed. I prayed. It was a quick prayer. And I said, well, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm trying to give this woman romance. And obviously I don't have the ability to understand what it is from her perspective. So I guess Jesus, you're just gonna have to step in and meet her needs because obviously I'm not capable of meeting this particular need. And, and folks, it's not inspired like the Bible, but God in his grace suddenly said basically, well, dummy, here's how it works. And just like that, I'm just telling you, it was like a divine revelation. God said, here's how, how romance works. And I will tell you what, folks, I, did they have to pay for this? Oh my gosh, you should pay thousands for this because I'm just telling you, I don't care where your marriage is today. It, it is worth being here for the next three minutes because I'm promising you it's gonna go from here to there if you'll just pay attention to what I'm about to say, okay? Because I, believe it or not, understand romance now from the female perspective because here's how it works. Romance to your wife is a game. It's a game. Now, it's a very familiar game. Romance is the game of hide and go seek. She hides it and you seek it. And that's the whole thing right there. And if you find it, to quote that great philosopher from Mayberry, it's good. It's good. Now, if you don't find it, you've got one of two options. Number, option number one, you can be mean and nasty and been out of shape and just be miserable and make everybody miserable the rest of your life. Or you can remember it's a game. And like all games, sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, but that, that's the fun of playing the game. So it's hide and go seek, she hides you seek. Now, there's a second part to the game. It's not fair, but it's their game. And you have to play by their rules. And here it is. What is romantic to your wife today? It won't be romantic tomorrow. <laughs> because since it's hide and go seek, they move it. And here's the, oh yeah, brother, you doggone right. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Then this is really unfair. Sometimes they're so good at hiding it, they don't know where it is. <laughs> but they expect you to find it. I mean, you're like me. You get on your knees and you say, honey, I'm begging you in Jesus' name. Just tell me where it is. I'll go get it. And she's like, well, I don't know, but you better hurry up and find it. So you, you, you go looking. Now, here's the other thing. They, they, they hide it in some of the weirdest and strangest places that you could ever imagine. I'm teaching at Southern Seminary for eight years. I, I spoke on marriage and family one day and, and shared this wonderful insight. The next day, uh, no, next day, a couple of weeks later, guy came to my office so excited. Is Dr. Aiken in? Is Dr. Aiken in? I gotta tell him what happened last night. I guess I gotta tell him what happened last night. So I said, let the boy in. So he comes in, he says, I found the romance last night at 7-Eleven. I said, sit down, I never found it there. I'd like to know where they put it. So. <laughs> He sat down, he said, well, last night we were coming home from a church function and, and I stopped at 7-Eleven, I had to get some gas. And he said, Dr. Aiken, I'm addicted to the big gulp. I can't help myself, but I love that big 64 ounce drink. And so every time I go to 7-Eleven, I get me a big gulp. So last night, went in, was gonna pay for the gas, got me a big gulp and I was walking over to the cashier. And as I walked by the coffee stand, it hit me just like that. In all the years we've been married, I have never got my wife a fresh cup of coffee unless she asked me to. So I went over, they just made a brand new pot and I poured a cup of coffee for her. I mixed it just like she likes it, put the lid on it. Went over, paid for the gas and the big gulp and the coffee. Walked out to the car and I hid the coffee behind the big gulp. It wasn't hard to do as I was walking out. So I got in the car and sat down and my wife looked over with a grin on her face and she said, well, I, I see you got your big gulp like you always do. And he said, yeah, and I got this for you. He said, Dr. Aiken, we got home, it was good. Now, I don't know what that means. I, I didn't ask him to go into details, but so he, he found it at the, at the, at the 7-Eleven. I found out, believe it or not, that your wife finds it romantic. Now, you gotta listen to the whole thing, guys. Your wife finds it romantic. 99% certain that she does. If you will take out the trash and replace the trash bag. What a novel idea. Isn't that right, lady? What a, oh yeah. I'm gonna get a lady speaking in tongues down here. Oh yeah, she, she's, oh yeah, I, I, I'm into that. Oh yeah, it only took me 15 years to figure that one out. 
You see, when we got married, my mama always took out the trash. My mama was the trash taker out. I don't know why, but she was. When we got married, I thought, Charlotte would do it. No, 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 no. No, that is your job, big boy. So, okay, I can do that. So I'd go out, fight the bears, put my life on the line, take the trash out at night, come back in. And, and she would say, thank you, honey, for taking out the trash. Well, then after a number of years, she quit saying anything. And I was like, well, you know, okay, well, what the? So one time I took the trash out, cold, wet, come back in. And she just kind of gives me a look, like, like a, and I'm like, okay, what's the deal? I, I took the trash out, put my life on the line, nearly froze to death. And, and, and I've come back in and, and what, what are you upset about? And she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure you can. Who do you think replaces that trash bag? God knows my heart. I had never thought about it. And she looks at me, she says, I can tell you one thing, there ain't no trash bag fairy in this house, that much I know. Then I really did something dumb. I said, well, where are the trash bags? Where are the trash bags? Oh, come here. So she marches me into the pantry. Now, let me, quick, quick aside, ladies, it is a documented scientific fact. You see things in a different way than we see things. That's a fact. To, to make it where we all understand it, men suffer from pantry and refrigerator blindness. We can't see in there. I will go to the refrigerator looking for the ketchup and it hides from me. And I'm like, and I am, God, I am begging you, reveal the ketchup, reveal the ketchup. Cause I don't want to ask her because she comes over, you know, like, like you idiot. Well, the pantry's the same way. Charlotte will say, honey, can you go into the pantry? No, there are demons in there that blind me. I cannot go into the pantry. Please don't make me go. In. I'm serious. Even think about right now, my blood pressure just went up. So she marches me into the pantry and sure enough, top shelf, right above the trash can, glad trash bag. And of course she gives me the obvious lesson. You pull it out, you shake it, you stick it in, you fold it over, takes like 15 seconds. And so now... When I take out the trash, I replace the trash bag. And it's amazing how much she loves me taking out the trash and putting the trash bag in. Now, I would never equate that with romance. I wouldn't do that. But then again, I'm a man, not a woman. And so I'm just simply saying to you, they hide it in some really interesting places. But if you're sensitive, going back to the, if you pay attention, you should at least begin to figure out, well, she tends to hide it here and put it over here and put it back there. And if you'll just keep visiting those spots, the fact that you're even trying, she finds that romantic, all right? Now, to honor our time, I'm gonna put four and five together and six and seven together. You bless your wife by initiating intimate conversation. And as you do, you speak the truth in love by being honest and open. But look at the first line of number four. Talk with her at the feeling level, heart to heart. Listen to her thoughts, i.e. her heart, about the events of her day with sensitivity, interest, and concern. Now, I don't care if you're here this morning, you've only been married three months. You know by now, men, that you've married a creature who is a master of code language, code language. The words mean nothing. It is the feeling behind the words that means everything. The classic example, you come home from work, you walk into the kitchen, maybe she's there, wherever, give her a kiss on the cheek, say, honey, how's your day been? And she says, Oh, fine. Does fine mean fine? No. Fine means bad. But you weren't listening, were you? So you go into the family room, the living room, and you get that wonderful male therapy device, the remote control. And off you go. I do this all the time. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Classic, The Weather Channel, CNN, Fox, and I just back and forth, back and forth. My blood pressure grows down. My pulse slows. I'm grooving. But three hours later, it hits me. She didn't fix me any supper. 
And men always get sensitive when they get hungry. It's an amazing thing. So you quietly and carefully by now make your way to the bedroom where she has located herself. And you stick your head in the door and you say, honey, um, anything bothering you? And what does she say? No. But does no mean no? No. No means yes. And it also means this. You weren't interested in finding out three hours ago? I ain't about to tell you now. Sweet Jesus will return to this earth before you know what's bothering me. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they can be like that. Now we could argue and say, well, they shouldn't be like that. Yeah, but I can say to you, you should have been listening. Because in her female way, she screamed at you when you walked through the door. I haven't had a good day. I've had a bad day. And here's what I learned. It took me a while. If I would just sit down with her at the kitchen table, no smartphone, no iPad, no TV, no nothing, and just lock in with her eye to eye and ear to ear and heart to heart and give her that undivided attention for 15, 20, 30 minutes, it absolutely changes the atmosphere of the home for the rest of the evening. So you listen to her, not just on the thought level, you listen to her on the heart level. And then finally, we'll take our break. You love her well by providing home support and stability and you do so as you demonstrate family commitment. The first line of number seven says it all. After the Lord Jesus, put your wife and your family first. Guys, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? I, I ask the students at the seminary this every time we get a new class that comes in, I will have a chance to speak in particular to the men. And I'll say, guys, what are your priorities? And I said, no, I don't need you to answer it. Let me tell you what the Bible would say your priorities ought to be. And it's the same, by the way, for all of you. And here we go. Number one, Jesus. Number two, your wife. Number three, your children. Number four, your church. Number five, your job. There's your priorities. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a type A personality and I'm hard driven and my job's hard. No, 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 no. Jesus, your wife, your children, your church, your job. And here's the deal, guys. You'll do better at your job if it's number five. You'll do better at your job if it's number five. And guys, I have this one figured out. I really do. I'm 61. I just actually asked the seminary to set a mandatory retirement date for me. And if God gives me health, I'll retire in about a decade. And when I retire, if I've done a good job, they'll, they'll have a little party for me. Probably give me a watch or a clock. It's amazing we get these watches and clocks. I got, I got 14 clocks at my house uh, for doing something. But you give me a watch or a clock, give me a box to put my stuff in. And on Monday, after that Friday, somebody be sitting in my chair. Might be sitting in my chair. Oh, they'll remember me for a couple of years. And after about three or four years, I'll just be that guy that used to be the president. 10 years out, most folks won't even remember my name. You know who will remember my name? My Jesus, my wife, my children, my grandchildren. Why would you play the fool and give your best time to those things that at the end aren't gonna amount to a hill of beans. Why would you do that? Because you've been deceived and seduced by this world in getting your priorities out of whack. And guys, I've learned this much. They only stay little one time and they only stay teenagers like one time. And they say, you know, you blink and they're 37, 37, 34, and 32. And you're like, where in the world, how did this happen? So if you will line your priorities up with what God wants those priorities to be, I promise you, you will bless your wife and your children and they will love you, they will believe in you, they will trust you and they will follow you. So Father, I ask this morning that you would indeed bless every man in this room. It would be my foremost prayer that they would be certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that they know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And having trusted him as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would be growing in their love for you, 
that they would want more than anything in this world to honor you and please you. And that means then, Lord, they want to be a godly, godly man, which means they want to be godly, good husbands and godly, good fathers. The kind of men that a wife would admire and be proud to say, this is my man. And those children would look up to him and say, that is my daddy and he is my hero. Lord, help us then to be those kind of men, the kind of man that the world cannot explain that the world would be drawn to because of our Jesus who lives within us. We ask and pray this in his name, amen.